0: And what happens is, in our world, is that when there's an unusual event, when there's an unusual event that takes place, it always requires some kind of framework or explanation so that we can make sense of it. Usually what we need is we need like eyewitness testimony to say to us, hey, this is what happened. I know this is what happened. You you can believe me. We need some kind of an expert or like a sage to come along and to help us interpret what we're looking at. When we come across something unusual, we need somebody else to interpret what it means. And there's not a more unusual event in the whole history of humanity. There's not a more unusual event than God himself becoming human. Born, flesh, blood. It's pretty unusual. But at the same time, there's nothing more natural than the birth of a baby. So we've got this really unusual thing happening. We've got God himself becoming human and this really normal thing happening, which is the birth of a baby, and we need somebody to explain it, to interpret it for us you might need that too maybe it's not just me i mean maybe all of this is is kind of lost on us sometimes we think what's the big deal with a baby being born because on one hand this is the most unusual thing to behold but on the other hand we can miss it because it's wrapped up in the most common of events a birth so we need an expert we need a guide we need a sage And we get one in the Christmas story in the form of an angel. A messenger from God who shows up in a bright light to terrified shepherds. Would you stand with me one last time? I want to read the word of the Lord this morning for us from Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 2. This should be a familiar story to you. Beginning with verse 1. It's the Christmas story. It says this, In those days, Caesar Augustus declared that everyone throughout the empire should Uh, taxes. And the first enrollment occurred when Quirinius was governing Syria. And everyone went to their own cities, and they enrolled. And since Joseph belonged to David's house and family line, he went up from the city of Nazareth in Galilee to David's city called Bethlehem in Judea. And he went to be enrolled together with Mary who was promised to him in marriage and who was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for Mary to have her baby. And she gave birth to her firstborn child, a son, wrapped him snugly, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. And nearby shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. And the Lord's angel stood before them and the Lord's glory. Shown around them. And they were terrified. And the angel said. Don't be afraid. Look. I bring good news to you. Wonderful. Joyous news. For all people. This is God's word for us this morning. You can be seated. So we get this angel. Who shows up. To interpret for us what happens. And this is what the angel has to say. And there's four parts to it. The angel says, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Four parts. Don't be afraid. Good news, great joy all people. This is the message. This is the surprising declaration of God to all of the people to announce the birth of his son. Listen, don't be afraid. This is good news of great joy for all people. So over the next few weeks, we're going to spend. Over the next four weeks, we're going to spend a week each looking at each one of those four parts of the message. We'll talk about what it means to not be afraid. We'll do that today. We'll talk about what it means that this is good news. We'll talk about what it means that it brings great joy. And finally, we'll talk about what it means that it's for all people and not just the people that we would choose to invite. And so today, we start with don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, listen, I admit... Um, um, I am a sucker. I really, really, really like to try to scare people. I enjoy it. Around the office, when people aren't suspecting, I like to sneak up on them and maybe tap them on the shoulder or yell loudly. I like to see what kind of reaction I can get. I've liked this ever since I was a child. I do it to my own children. They're probably tired of it by now. I really, really, really enjoy it. And what I always enjoy, this has been happening for several years now, what I always enjoy are around the Halloween season, scared. And because I enjoy it, and I think everybody should enjoy what I enjoy, I'm going to share some of those photos with you this morning for your enjoyment as well. So, so we have... A... <laughs> Let's look at the next one. We have two more. Oh, that's the same one. But it's so good we can see it twice. (laughs) One more, please. Yeah, that one's my favorite. (laughs) These are images and these are pictures of people afraid. They're scared. And I want you to keep those images in the back of your mind today throughout the sermon as we talk about what it might look like if we lived our life fearful and afraid like that, versus what it might look like if we lived our life according to the message of the Bible, which is consistently, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We just heard the angel say it when the angel announced the birth of God's son, Jesus. But you also need to hear Jesus say it. Don't be afraid. That's what Jesus says to Peter when Peter is scared because he's a sinner. Don't be afraid. It's what Jesus said to his little flock of frightened followers in an upper room. Don't be afraid. It's what Jesus said to Jairus when Jairus just learned that his daughter died. Don't be afraid. That's what Jesus said to some men who were his disciples who were stuck in a boat in the middle of the storm. Don't be afraid. Those are the first words out of Jesus' mouth on Easter Sunday morning. The first words that the resurrected Jesus spoke. Don't be afraid. Now here's why that is important. Jesus... The person of Jesus. Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus. Jesus is what God has to say. In the beginning, according to the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word. And that Word, which is the only Word in the history of words, which does not signify anything else, but which is the eternal Word itself, that Word became a baby. A human being. And dwelt among us. Why? Because Jesus is the word that God has to say. God could not say all that God needed to say using just words in a book. So God said what he wanted to say in a person, in a human life. If you ever want to know a word from the Lord, if you ever want to know what God has to say, Jesus... Jesus is what God has to say. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ because Jesus is what God has to say. And on the holy mountain... When Peter got the bright idea that he should build three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus, in other words, one for the law, one for the prophets, one for Jesus, God intervened and said, no, Peter, no, This Jesus is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Don't build three tabernacles. And Peter was so overwhelmed that he heard the voice of God that he fell down into his knees, and it's Jesus who touched him on the shoulder, and it's Jesus who said, don't be afraid. And when Peter opened his eyes, all that he could see was Jesus because Jesus is once again all that God has to say. And the, ever, the only thing that we ever know that Jesus actually wrote, the only recorded thing that Jesus wrote was he wrote in some sand. And that dirt, that sand was blown away by the wind because Jesus is what God has to say. No other words but Jesus. And think about it. Throughout his life, from beginning to end, whether it's on the Sea of Galilee in a boat, or it's in the upper room the night before he's going to die. Whether it's in a little backwater town called Capernaum, or in the center of the holy world called Jerusalem, whether it's on a mountain or on the sea, whether he's speaking to men or to women, whether he's talking to a room full of people, or he's talking to just a few, before he died and after his resurrection, Jesus consistently and repeatedly says this, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And if Jesus is what God has to say, it seems that what God really wants to say is this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid is the message that heaven sends to earth. Don't be afraid. And however you and I interpret the breaking of our relationship with God that happened way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve chose to, chose to disobey uh, God's commands and to eat the fruit of the tree that they were not allowed to eat the fruit of that tree. However you and I want to interpret that, those events, it seems pretty clear that the first effect of that broken relationship, the first effect of sin, is fear. Fear. Because the first time that we hear humans say anything, humans don't say anything in Genesis chapter 1. They don't say anything in Genesis chapter 2. They speak for the first time in Genesis chapter 3 after they've broken their relationship with God. What is it that they say? Adam says to God, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. This is the first effect of sin. Because remember, God reveals himself to us as our helper. God reveals himself to us as our strength. But how does Adam talk to God? Adam says, I heard you and I was afraid of you. The first consequence, the first effect of our broken relationship with God is that we imagine that where our help is, comes from, instead of being a help, is actually a horror. And so we become afraid, and we hide. And there is no doubt about it that when human beings are at our worst, when you and I, when we're at our worst, we are motivated by fear, and we're defined by fear. Think about this, like if you took fear off of the table in your life, if fear was off of the table in my life, how many enemies do we have? How many enemies do we have? If fear was eliminated and removed from the conversation, how many worried thoughts do we have? And so we learn from that account in Genesis that it's fear and the imagination of fear that in it everything has gone wrong. There's this line. And this line is crossed, and we're told if you cross that line, God says to his people, if you cross this line, you won't live forever. And someday you'll die. But what happens is, is that when humans cross that line, they imagine that their death is imminent, even though it's not, and they begin to fear it, and they become aware that they're mortal. And so we have the first sin that enters us into the picture. And because of the first sin, there's the birth of all of this fear. And I think this is what heaven wants to say to earth. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It seems like the conversation between heaven and earth goes like this. We say, I'm afraid. And heaven says, don't be. And we say, I'm afraid. And heaven says, don't be. And we say, I'm afraid. Say, don't be. Angels say it. Prophets say it. Psalmists say it. But Jesus, who is the final and perfect word of God, Jesus, remember, is what God has to say. And what Jesus consistently says is, don't. Don't be afraid. And what's really interesting is I think that if we could trace back where fear comes from in our lives, I think if we could you know, get maybe some psychologists in the room or some sociologists in the room, and we could just kind of get to the root of where fear comes from, I think the story that would be told is a story that's really compatible with how you and I, who choose to follow Jesus, how we also would agree that fear enters into the world. And I think fear comes into the world because ultimately, at our root, we fear loss, we fear loss, and there's no more tangible thing to lose than a life. I want, you to, I want to read this from the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter two. The words won't be on the screen, but I just want you to hear it. Hebrews chapter two lays this out so brilliantly beginning with verse 14. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he also shared the same things in this way. He did this, listen, he, meaning Jesus, he did this to destroy the one who holds the power over death, the devil, by dying. He set free those who were held in slavery their entire lives. Check this out. By the fear of death. Here's the truth, and it's a very real truth. Every fear I think on this earth originates from and is a form of our own mortality. It's a fear of death, it's a fear of loss. We're afraid of loss, we're afraid of the loss of control. We're afraid of the loss of place. We're afraid of the loss of position and possession. And all of that fear is a form of the fear of death. But here's what the writer of Hebrews is helping us to understand. The fear of death, Christianly understood, the fear of death is a lie. It's a lie. And it's proved to be a lie through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, God is proving that the fear of death is a lie. He exposes it. And what is it that the resurrected Jesus, the one who's just been through death, what what is it that that Jesus says to his people? He says, hey, don't be afraid. Why? Because in the resurrection of Jesus, we learn death is not the end. Death is something we experience. There's no doubt about that. And we will all experience that loss. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. That's not the end. It's not terminal. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, it's a transition. It's something we pass through. We go through it. We thought it was the end, but because of the resurrection of Jesus, what we remember and what we learn is that it's a new beginning. What we thought was the end turned out to be Easter. What we thought was the end turned out to be a new beginning. Because Jesus is what God has to say, and Jesus says, don't be afraid. This is what that means. The church exists to say that to each other. You and I. We exist to tell the truth to each other. And the truth is, we don't have to be afraid. Now listen, I confess. Sometimes I make the mistake. Sometimes I do. I make the mistake and I grab the remote and I turn on the TV. Or I get on the computer, my tablet, my phone, whatever screen you want. And I, and I look at the news. And I don't care whatever three-letter network is your favorite. I don't, I don't care. The story that's being told and pumped throughout our culture, the story that sells products and gathers ratings, the story that's being told to you and I on a consistent and daily basis is be afraid. In fact, be scared of your shadow. After 30 minutes of watching whatever you're whatever pick pick which one you love and pick which one you hate, I don't care you watch it for 30 minutes and you're ready to build a bunker and to stock that thing with like non-perishable food items and to retreat into the woods in the wilderness somewhere because we got to be afraid of everything. I mean, we got to be afraid of everything. And I'm old enough now where I lived through Y2K. Y'all remember Y2K? We were going to lose all of our money. Like, You know, some people who programmed computers couldn't figure out that when it changed from 1999 to the year 2000, they couldn't figure out that computer algorithm or whatever. And because of that, we were going to wake up on January 1st, 2000, and our bank accounts were going to be gone. They were going to be gone. And you know what? I lived through September 11th. In fact, I was a bank teller while in college during September 11th. And you know what I did? I worked on that day. And you know what I saw? I saw people come in and they said to me, I want to withdraw all my money. I want it all in cash. And we would have to explain to people, listen, I understand you got a lot of money in the bank or you have a little bit of money in the bank, but we can't give you all of your money in cash because it's not like back there in the vault. There's stacks and stacks of money. That's not how it works. But you know what that was? That was fear. That was fear. And I've lived through, I'm I'm old enough now, sound like an old guy. I've lived through, I've lived these, you know, I lived through a time where everybody thought that our former president was going to ruin everything. And I lived through a time now where another group of people think that our current president is going to ruin. You know what it all is? It's fear. It's fear. It is the currency that runs our world. And you know why the church exists? The church exists to say the words of Jesus to each other. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. If Jesus is what God has to say and what Jesus most consistently says to his people is don't be afraid, then you and I, we need to say it. And why is it? Is it because we're so tough that we can endure everything? Is it that we don't need to fear everything because we have the no fear sticker on the back of our pickup truck and, and we just rumble our way through the streets of Tippecanoe County and we ain't scared? We ain't scared. Is that why it is? no. It's not any trust in our own ability. It's not any belief in our own strength. It's an unwavering conviction that the word of the future, that the person who controls and holds the future, is the God who reigns supreme over the universe. And what that God says to us, to his people, is, y'all don't need to fear. I got this. And so we can live confidently, in the assurance that it's not up to us. It's up to our God, and it's already been settled because he's taught us that even the fear of death is a lie because death has been turned in a transition from this mortal body to an eternal heavenly body. Can I get an amen? The church exists to say to each other what the words of Jesus say. Don't be afraid. But you know what? We can't just say it to each other. I think we also need to say it to ourselves. We need to say it to ourselves. And I, I understand that most of you aren't as weird as I am, but I, have you ever wondered, have you ever thought to yourself, like if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, what would you say? What would you say? You ever thought about that? I have. I have. What would you say? I mean, there's so much I would want to say. You know, I'd want to give advice to my younger self, like, "Hey, invest in Amazon, don't invest in Enron." You know, I'd I'd like want to give that advice. You know, I'd want to give correction, like, "Hey, man, that thing you're doing, just stop that. Stop, stop that. You don't need to do it. Quit being like that." I don't want to do that. But you know, one thing I would want to say to my younger self, above everything else, I just want to say, "Don't be afraid." Don't be afraid. So, you know what? I thought I'd do that. I thought I'd take you along with me. And I'd go back and revisit some of the younger moments of my life. And I'm not doing this just so that you can, like, get a, world, a, like a lens into my life. I'm doing it to help you maybe through the process. You can do this for yourself, too. So, like, let's, let's jump into the time machine. And we'll set the dial on the time machine back to the mid-80s. We'll travel to Ball Elementary School in Chatham, Illinois. We'll talk to a five-year-old kid who just started kindergarten, who loved playing sports, idolized Ozzy Smith, loved playing with G.I. Joes, couldn't wait for school to be over so that he could, like, get off the school bus and eat stacks of Chips Ahoy cookies with a glass of milk. Man, I still can't wait for that. That five- That five-year-old boy, he was okay with school, he was okay with kindergarten, but he didn't really love it, and he especially didn't love it during the the day in kindergarten when it was craft time, craft time, craft activities. He didn't love that, and he didn't love that because he wasn't very good at it, and I want to talk to that kid, I want to talk to that five-year-old boy because that's the moment that that five-year-old boy first started to understand failure and first started to be afraid of it. And the story goes like this, that it was craft time, and the teacher had told all of the kindergarten friends to use their, cousin, their, their scissors to cut out a shape. Use their scissors to cut out a shape. And he was pretty bad at using his scissors. And, and the teacher told everybody, hey, you got to do this thing. And, and he, he, couldn't, he couldn't figure out how to, how to do it, or he was embarrassed because he was so bad. And so he said to his teacher, hey, my scissors don't work. (laughs) And the teacher didn't fall for it. She said, well, that's too bad. But here, you can use mine. I know they work. What would I say to that kid who first learned the fear of failure? I'd say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now let's set the dial and let's go to the mid-90s. By that time, the kid was a teenager. Wait, who am I kidding? He's a teenager. He's never going to listen anyways. Let's go to the early 2000s. (laughs) Let's go to the early 2000s, and let's talk to a 20-year-old who's just experienced death for the first time. And within a few weeks, his grandpa died in a farming accident. His mom was diagnosed with cancer. It's the first time that he ever experienced loss or learned about loss the first time he had to say goodbye, the first time that he really remembers seeing a body, the first time that he ever considered that his mom was mortal, and that kid was scared. What would I say to him? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Let's go to the mid-2000s, and let's talk to a 25-year-old, fresh out of seminary, called to join the staff of a great church, but that great church happened to be aging in years. They wanted to see some younger faces, so they brought in a 25-year-old to help them do that. And the 25-year-old was supposed to be the expert, but he really didn't feel like one. He did what he knew to do. He started a separate worship service under the auspices of that church with the hope that it would provide space for younger people to connect with God, and it was hard, challenging. Success wasn't immediate. And that kid was thinking, is this working? Is that the right thing to do? And what would I say to him? I would say what the future always says to the present. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And let's set the dial of the time machine to 2009. Some of you knew him now. And let's talk to a 30-year-old. In a hospital, with his wife, their two, their two and a half year old daughter, a baby who is just born with a slew of health complications in the NICU, hooked up to machines to help her breathe, help her eat, constant beeps and alarms. What would I say? I'd say, "Don't be afraid." What you'll realize in the future that you'll never know in this moment in the present is that you've just been given one of the greatest gifts of your life that you could ever receive. Now finally, let's turn the dial to 2014. Five and a half years into pastoring this great church, a lot of preliminary work had been done to plan the building and the expansion of the facility, but nothing had been done yet that couldn't be undone. All that was left was a meeting with the board and the beginning of the communication to the congregation and then the whole thing would go public. And the board that that pastor served with was gifted, committed, and they had one last meeting and they talked. They talked about all the specifics and all the details, how much it would cost. We prayed about if this is what the Lord was leading us to do. The board was so good so prepared, and at one point, the board looked at that person, that pastor, and said, well, what do you think? Is this what you think we should do? What would I say to that person? I'd say, don't be afraid. And maybe that person would have said back to me, well, will it all work out? Well, will it all work out? And I would say in that moment, that's not for me to tell you. But I'm here to tell you that you can trust the Lord. Don't be afraid. It's what I would say to myself. It's what I would say to myself when I was five. It's what I would say to myself when I was 25. It's what I would say to myself when I was 30. It's what I would say to myself today. And my guess is that I'm not that much different than you. You. And maybe this is the moment that God wants to use to say to you what God has been trying to say to you forever. It's all true. You can trust Jesus. You don't have to be afraid. You can trust him with everything. Jesus is what God has always wanted to say. And what Jesus consistently says to us is, don't be afraid. Can you imagine your life? If your life was not motivated by fear, if you were so confident, not in your own ability, but you were so confident in the God who is coming to you, the God who holds the future and stands it and invites to you and says to you, come, who calls you into your next moment, where there he will meet you so that he can call you into your next moment after that, what would life look like? if we were so motivated by the trust in the presence of the Lord in our next present moment, that in this present moment we were no longer motivated by fear. What would it look like? I think it would look like people who are radically obedient to the presence of God, who live their life with a freeness and a graciousness and an ease because they realize they don't have to be afraid.